Hello, lifers. Welcome to the Life in the Whirlwind podcast with Heather Drew. Oh, come on. Have a little fun. Do it again. Hello, lifers. Welcome to the Life in the Whirlwind podcast with Heather Drew. (laughs) That is my delightful seven-year-old. I hope you all enjoy her. Welcome to the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. This is Heather Drew. And today is episode 24. I need to adjust this microphone a little bit here. Okay, here we go. Today's episode 24. And this episode is called What We Share. And um, I'm sitting in my right side up room and I recorded this late. So thanks for forgiving me. Today's Memorial Day. And um, those of you out there who make this your routine on Monday mornings, I hope your routines were messed up enough that it's okay that this is a little late. I'm speaking to particularly one person in particular. I'm speaking particularly to a person in particular. Maria. (laughs) Anyway. um, Okay. Today's episode is called What We Share. And what the reason this episode is happening is because actually a listener took, uh, a a listener emailed me and took some pieces of episode 19, which is the original goodness episode, and took some pieces from episode six, which is, I think it was called Showing Up at the Table. And, uh, and had several questions about those things. And they were really great questions. I do not have permission to share the person's name or uh, the questions themselves, but just know that they were great questions and they have spurred on this episode. So I want to share, these questions kind of brought up, this person was interested in knowing more about what I mean by who we really are or this kind of original goodness situation that we're in and also how practicing presence connects with that. So I'm going to give you a little warning. I have been reading a book or two or 10 on a subject called quantum entanglement I'm going to talk about it for just a few minutes, so buckle up. (laughs) It's, uh, I'm not a physicist, I'm not a science person, but I'm kind of, I kind of geek out about certain interesting scientific discoveries that have to do with the universe and the meaning of life and human existence. So I'm like a big, I'm kind of a sci-fi fan, um, because they always do so well with these topics of you know, why we're out here. Like, what are we doing with our, with our one existence kind of thing? And there's so much more to life than we know. So anyway, I'm going to start by talking about quantum entanglement. And then I'm going to talk about traveling the world. And then I'm going to talk about uh, deeper layers of life. And then I'm going to talk about an interesting irony about all of these things being connected. And then, of course, in true form, 
uh, I'm going to talk about vulnerability and presence. Okay, so that's where we're going today. Quantum entanglement. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. Another thing you should also know before I begin this is there seems to be a magical gremlin that lives in my brain, (laughs) between my brain and my mouth, actually, like kind of in the back of my sinuses, maybe. (laughs) And uh, he steals my words. I I can understand these concepts in my, my mind. Somehow the gremlin captures the words before they get to my mouth. So bear with me. Be forgiving. I am not a scientist at all. Um, I hope you can forgive me with all the the little bluff, bluffy blemishes. I don't know what the word is. See, there he goes. He's grabbing them now. Okay, I'm going to try to explain this quantum entanglement business to you for a second. And then I'm going to, I promise I'm going to connect it back to life in the whirlwind. So best way to describe quantum entanglement. So this is a physical reality, physics, the science. Uh, this is something that scientists have been studying for several decades at this point, I think. But in the last 10 years, I remember because I read the first article I'd ever heard about this, um, was I was reading when I was, when I had a newborn and she's now 10. So my, my oldest daughter is 10. So um, by the way, that was my daughter, Violet at the beginning. She's seven. She wanted to do something showy for the podcast. So that was that. Anyway, I forgot to say that. Um, so anyway, the first time I read this article on quantum entanglement was about 10 years ago. So that was really coming on the scene. What is it? Basically, um, the way it's defined is it's this, there's a concept of non-local relational holism. So this is about particle relationships, right? Particles make up everything. And um, particles, uh, there's, there are types of particles that are in relationship. And they can be, so when I, I'm going to define non-local relational holism. So non-local means you can separate these paired up particles. And they are relational and they act as if they are a whole, even when they are separate. Okay. So you mess with one, you mess with both, basically, is the the layman's term for this. So why the heck am I talking about this? Why am I talking about quantum physics on the Life in the Whirlwind podcast? Why, why, why? Uh, so we, too, have a lot of things that we share. Let me tell you, so let me tell you an example of this. So if you have these two particles and they, you separate them, say scientists separate them, you can put one particle in Philadelphia and you can put the other particle in Los Angeles, California. And the one in Los Angeles, California is in sort of like a cryogenic state or whatever. Like it's, I don't know, this is probably where the science gets super crazy and I'm not a scientist, so don't take my word for this. It's just a concept. Go read about it. It's so cool. Um, if any scientists are listening to this, they're rolling their eyeballs so bad right now. So the one in California is like in stasis. It's not being touched. It's in storage. It's sleeping essentially. The one in Philadelphia is being tested, it's being measured, it's being, you know, 
messed around with. It's like being, it's like, what is, what is this thing capable of? What, what can we do to it? What, what happens when we do this to it? That kind of thing. It's tested. The one in California, before the one in Philadelphia is tested, the one in California and the one in Philadelphia look exactly the same. After the one in Philadelphia is tested, the one in California looks exactly the same. It shows the exact same signs of being measured and tested that the particle in Philadelphia displays after being tested. If one reverses direction, the other reverses direction. So the point is, is that there are these two particles that are totally separate. They're non-local, but there's this relational holism. So they're completely separate from one another and they act as if they are one. It's craziness. Okay. So why am I talking about this? So we have these things that we share, even in the midst of human, deep, beautiful diversity. We have these things that we share. I might even argue that we have more that we share about us, then we have qualities that actually make us different. There's a lot of unity in our diversity. So traveling, let's talk about traveling. So I travel the world occasionally, and not the whole world, but some parts of the world. I travel from where I live to these parts of the world to travel, to for vacations, for trips. I chaperoned a choir trip. Um many, many years ago, like 13 years ago or something at this point, to China. Um, I, I've been to Japan. I've been to Great Britain, Ireland. Uh, I lived in Great Britain for a while with people who were Indian immigrants. Um, so, and the most recent trips that I've taken, I've taken several, a couple trips to Rwanda. And last year I went to Lebanon, which I talk about a lot on this podcast. So, when I go on these trips, I just revel in human diversity. I love traveling because I love all the different smells and the colors and the foods and the languages and like the gestures, how people relate. It's just so interesting. There's so much diversity. The sayings. Oh my gosh. My favorite part. I have these two things that I talk about. Like you never really know a place that you're visiting until you've heard their like idioms, like their sayings that they say, which make, you know, we've never heard these things, you know, like these proverbs, I guess you could say like these life idioms or something. Um, so that's one thing you have to do when you go to a city. The other thing is you have to walk it. And that's how you really know you've taken the city in, in a special way. Anyway, so that's, that's, there's a lot of diversity, right? But in all of these things, one of the things that I've noticed as I've traveled a lot of places, I remember the first time I went to Rwanda, that was the first time I'd ever been to an African country. And I remember thinking, wow, it's amazing how different this is than America. Especially, the, you know, like I'm only familiar with the East Coast. I've really only lived on the East Coast for the most part. Um, Rwanda's so different. And I remember walking away also thinking, and yet there we are so the same. We have so much in common, like humans are humans. Because I think all of these things that create diversity, that create difference, that um, 
make us seem different from one another across the globe are all things that are externals. They are these constructs of context and contextual history. And they're cultural, and that's fine. And that's good. And we need, we, the diversity is beautiful. But I want to think about the deeper layers. So beyond these constructs of context, beyond the contextual history of a person, beyond the layers, I like to imagine, I've, I sometimes, I've driven, drawn the, dr- I've drawn, oh my gosh, gremlin, uh, I've drawn this picture for a lot of people before where it's like this stick figure, oh, my friend's texting me, sorry about that, um, I've, where there's a stick figure and then there's like, this is how you were created, this is what you were envisioned to be by the divine, the creator, you know, this pure, simple you in its purest form. And then you're conceived and you start like tasting garlic when your mom has garlic and you, you know, if your mom took drugs then you have drugs and you you know, it's like all these little like layers are added to your experience, your pure state. And then you get, you're born and that's traumatic. And then there's another layer and then there's a layer of being attachment layer. And then there's a child layer. It's just all these layers that build up over time, right? That sort of just give us constructs of context and contextual history and culture has so much to do with that. But when we go below these layers, like an onion, much like an onion, or the way I like to actually imagine it is not an onion, but a lamp, with multiple lampshades on top of the lamp, the light bulb. So there's a light bulb at the center, and then there's a lampshade, and then there's another lampshade, and then there's another lampshade. It's kind of like the Russian nesting dolls of lampshades. And as you add lampshades, the light is dimmer. It's different. But as you remove the lampshades, you start to see the light better. So here's, here's where I'm going with this. When somebody asks you, hey, tell me about yourself. <laughs> or like, so that's like what a stranger might say or somebody you just met might say. Um, or maybe a friend says like, like, who are you really? Like, you know, what do you say when people ask you this? Tell me about yourself or who are you? What do you tell me, What's your story? Are the things that you say external factors mostly Or are they this light bulb, this deeper substance? Think about that for a minute. I actually heard, uh, overheard a conversation on the street a couple days ago where somebody was having this conversation outside and on like the corner of a street. They were just chatting. It seemed like they didn't really know each other. And this woman said something like, tell me about yourself or like, where, like, what's your story? What are you about? And I remember this woman responding like, well, I'm a teacher and I have two kids and I live here in Mount Airy and I blank, fill in the blank. I drive a blue Camry. I don't know. I can't remember all the details, but the point is she was giving a list of externals. She wasn't saying things like, well, you know, I don't really have a father figure in my life, so I tend to drink a lot to numb the void of having no father figure. Um, I just can't really take it. The, the void scares me, so I drink a lot of alcohol and I watch a lot of Netflix. 
Like nobody, <laughs> nobody says that. Uh, to your friends, you might say that. Like to your closest people, your accountability friends, whatever people who know you and know your stuff. Maybe you'll say that kind of stuff, but we just don't. You know, we tend to seek the approval of others, and we tend to hide. Um, we tend to not share this deeper substance, the stuff with the lampshades removed. We always talk about the lampshades, but we don't really talk about what's under the lampshades. We don't really talk about the light bulb very often. Unless we do. (laughs) So the irony of this is this. We don't share as in express. We don't tell others the very things about us that we share with others like the truth about all of us we don't share vulnerably telling with others the very thing about us that we share with others yeah right like that's okay next page i want to talk about loneliness because i have noticed lately especially so this is we i know we keep talking about transitions but it's just we gotta call it like it is we gotta call a spade a spade it is a season of transitions um i had a student in my office a couple weeks ago and we were talking about how this person has changed um being in the counseling program that i that i work in um at the graduate school that i work at and this person brought up loneliness and how much loneliness was felt that was unexpected during the counseling program. And we talked about that for a while. And she actually didn't use the word loneliness for a little while. And then I asked about that, if that was the case. And there were some tears. And, you know, it's sort of this thing about, like, I think she said something like, why doesn't anybody ever talk about loneliness? Why don't we ever talk about the fact that a lot of us are lonely a lot of the time, or that this is a very common experience that we deeply share. Wouldn't it eliminate a lot of power of loneliness if we talked about it? Think about it. Not only by, you know, there's this sort of magic, we call this the magic of therapy. I'm holding up my quote, my air quotes. The magic of therapy is that when you say things out loud, they lose their power. Um, things that you kind of like hurt, um, pain, voids, fears, struggles, like all these things that are what we label negative emotions or like hard experiences. But we talk about how in therapy, when you say them out loud, they lose their power. So not only is that true, but even with loneliness, when you're sharing something with somebody else who shares that thing with you, that would eliminate loneliness's power tremendously. So why don't we? Why don't we share what we share? The closer we get to the center, the more risky it becomes vulnerable, literally, like the Latin root of this is vulness, which is wound. Um, basically, it really means woundable. Vulnerable means woundable. It means 
that you, here's the visual that I always imagine is like the parts of you that you are exposing to another person when you're vulnerable, when you're really openly sharing are the parts of you that if harm is done to those parts, they would suffer the most damage. They are the most delicate, woundable parts and they would get damaged the most easily. But again, interestingly, the parts of us that have the most potential for being harmed are also the ones that have the most potential for bringing us closer to flourishing, more into full and abundant life that's available. So think of how much power we therefore have over one another. Um, I've noticed that in therapy, this is a phenomenon that I see in therapy as a therapist, and I myself as a client, I've done this probably. I'm less aware of that than being on the therapy side, the therapist chair side. But um, in therapy, sometimes we notice enactment. So um, a client will potentially act out toward the therapist the way they acted toward their parent because it's almost like a test to see if the same thing will happen again and you sort of act out this thing and with therapists hopefully if you don't have a therapist like this raise your eyebrow and just kind of think about this consider this but in therapy the therapist is going to be there for you no matter what the therapist is going, maybe the therapist will challenge you. Maybe the therapist will ask you hard questions that could potentially make you say ouch in your mind or out with your mouth, but, um, but they're not going to do you harm. They're not going to leave you. They're not going to abandon you in the ultimate sense of you aren't good and you can't be what I want you to be, that kind of thing. So it's kind of this really cool thing where like you can show up and make yourself vulnerable and expose yourself. Um, and there's this lovely non-harm being done in good therapy situations. Again, um, if you are listening to this and that is not what you've experienced, if you have experienced harm, you might want to just let somebody know about that. Um, on the other hand, if we are entangled as a human race in relational holism, won't my daring act of vulnerability also impact you if you think about it? So this is sort of the other side of things like being vulnerable that, um, the parts of us that have the most potential for being harmed in vulnerability also have the most potential for bringing fullness to life. Like if I'm being vulnerable and you are observing that, and maybe you're the recipient of that, uh, won't that be powerful for you? Like, uh, you know, going first is a powerful thing. It's, it's like really risky and really hard and very courageous uh, and very daring. Um, but going first is, is really, it's like a doorway for others to see. And if we're entangled when one person is vulnerable in the connection web, the others are impacted in full ways. Um, you know, one particle spins one way, the other particle spins the same way. 
one particle changes direction, the other particle changes direction. It's not quite as connected, but it's interesting, right? It's interesting to think about. This is why I talked about quantum entanglement. So yeah, I told you it was a real thing that I was going to bring back up. I swear it connects. So um, this is really what showing up to the table means. When I talked about this in episode six, or I think episode 12 was um, the optimal conditions, vulnerability episode, you know, instead of believing that we can't show up because we cannot possibly contain or handle the rejection that could happen or the woundedness that could happen. What if we said, what, you know, I gave my, I gave my friend one of those quotable cards that says proceed as if success were inevitable. What if we proceeded to the table as if success were inevitable? What if we proceeded as that, as proceeded into vulnerability, like calculated vulnerability, not leaking, not oversharing for the sake of like getting attention in a negative way or like narcissistic stuff. But I just mean like showing up being you in a sense of like, you know, I like you. I think you're an interesting person and you kind of hurt me that one time. Um, I think I would take that personally normally, but I'm going to try something different. That's showing up to the table. That's an example maybe of showing up to the table. Like that's vulnerable. It's hard to go back to someone who could potentially like, like stick you a little bit in the ribs and kind of like give you a tiny wound. I'm not talking about like life altering wounds or like abuse. That's not what I'm talking about. But showing up to the table means you can proceed as if success and acceptance and love and peace is inevitable. Uh, I was reading a book recently and it was one of those books where there's a quote at the beginning of every chapter. And uh, this particular book, one of the chapters had a quote by... I looked up this woman's name. She was an essayist. She was a Spanish woman. Her parents were, so her parents were Cuban and, but she was born in France, I think, or was raised in France. So I don't know if I can say her name correctly, but here I go. It's A-N-A-I-S-N-I-N. I think it's Anais Nin. That's how I'm going to say it. But here's the quote. There came a time when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. There came a time when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. So this showing up the table proceeding as if success is inevitable, it's just a different kind of risk. It's a different kind of risk of opening up. And there's a time when we get we get to a point where we realize staying closed is more painful and risky than opening up and taking a chance and proceeding as if success is inevitable. So what does presence have to do with this? Because that's how we all started, right? This is how this kind of started in the beginning. So I've been reading this other book. I know I say that a lot. Craziness. Um, I read a lot of <laughs> I read a lot of books. I'm stalling while I pull up this page that I'm looking for. I read a lot of books. I probably read too many books at once because I sometimes can't remember 
where I saw things, and that gets to be trouble. I'm going to read you, I'm reading this book called The Presence Process. I'm going to read you uh, some lines from this because I want to tell you what presence has to do with all this. What's presence got to do with this? Little Tina there. Um, okay, here we go. Because we are born into a culture that exists almost entirely within a world of time, few of us are able to be continually present. This is the curse of modern civilization. We thirst for progress, but in many cases, progress leads to the structuring of life in such a way that we are no longer required to be present when it's happening. The more automated our experience becomes the less involved we are in the art of living. In the world of time, it's challenging to be grateful because nothing appears to unfold the way we think it should. The past holds regrets and the future the promise of improvement, while the present requires constant adjustment. We therefore spend our waking moments reflecting on what didn't work in the past and planning those adjustments we believe are necessary to attain the peace and fulfillment that we seek. Because these adjustments are oriented to a better tomorrow, we've forgotten how to have a meaningful today. Consequently, the experience we are having right now is viewed as just a means to the end. By living this way, we consistently leapfrog over the present. Even though the past has gone and can't be altered, and the future isn't yet manifest, we choose to mentally occupy these illusory places instead of fully entering and experiencing the moment we actually occupy, this moment right now. By habitually dwelling in a mental state, which allow us to, allows us to project our attention into an illusory past or future, we miss out on the authentic physical and emotional experience that is happening right now. We are all but oblivious to the only moment that contains all the vibrancy of life. We think we are living, but we are merely existing. We think we're moving forward, but we're spinning in circles. We have become mental about everything and have thereby, thereby sacrificed the experience of being physically present and emotionally balanced. Consequently, as advanced as we may believe our mental state to be, we are ridden with confusion. So that's what presence has to do with all of this. Um, there is a strange peace that we find in the present that we can't find otherwise. Um, this is, I want to read one more quote from this book, The Presence Process. This is from a different page. He says, a joyful, healthy, and abundant life is pouring itself upon us all right now. However, when we live in time, the vessel we really are is up upended. In this upside-down state, we mistakenly spend our experience trying to get something instead of simply receiving that which is already and eternally given. This is what we all share. 
This is why I'm reading this. This is what we all share. We all share the gift of now. We all share the gift of presence. Yeah, sure. We all share loneliness. We all share fear, anger, sadness. These are all emotions, however, or types of experiences um, that are mostly internal. The present moment is something that exists for all of us. And we often spend, I'm not saying the past is wrong and I'm not saying the future is wrong. Like thinking about the past and learning from it, rooting ourselves in the past, so important. Dreaming for the future, planning for the future, wise, totally wise. But also I think we often generate behaviors that we believe will bring us peace because we have a lot of regrets from the past and we have a lot of fears for the future. So we avoid and we close up and we ourselves, you know, we, we close so that nobody can break us up. We, we harden ourselves. We make, we fortress eyes. I like to make that a verb. We make ourselves a fortress so that no one can get in. And yet, is that really working? Is it really serving us? Is that really the life we want to be living? Maybe it is. I don't know. You have to ask yourself that question. I can't answer for you. But here's the reality. And I've said this before, but I know how important reminders are for me. And it's probably been a really long time since I've said this. Here's the reality. Closed is closed. It's an equal opportunity posture. When I'm closed to what scares me, I'm also closed to what is necessary for me to grow and thrive and flourish and find life and to the things that I'm, I desperately need. Closed is closed. So something very sacred is found in taking yourselves up with this very moment in time, this, this present moment right here, right now. And this is why, you know, some of you are familiar with Jesus' teaching on, you know, like, look at the birds. They're not freaking out. They're not looking back at their past and, you know, wondering what they've done wrong or fretting. Uh, look at the lilies of the field. Your heavenly father dresses them. They don't do anything for that. They just, they just receive. They're open. This is the sacred and transforming reality of living in the moment. Birds live in the moment. Squirrels live in the moment. Flowers unconsciously live in the moment. Um, it's almost as if, my husband and I were talking about this yesterday, it's almost as if the present moment exists outside of time. Like, you know the phrase, time flies when you're having fun? Maybe it's like time stops when you're, when you're having fun. Like time stops when you're enjoying the present moment, right? I'm going to take a sip of tea here. I'm taking a present moment here with my honey lavender tea. Um, okay. So anyway, I'm, I could talk about this. I need to wrap it up here, Heather. Um, so when we spend ourselves living in the past or the future, 
um, we're living a type of unreality, a non-now, a projection. So it's, it's not quite the same as, but I would say it's similar to like a projection on a movie screen. It's just not real. So, um, this is the blessing and the curse of having such an active, astute and agile mind and consciousness. The blessing is we have these higher levels of consciousness more than squirrels and birds. Probably I would argue, um, maybe not more than golden retrievers, but I'm not sure. Can't prove it. And the curse is that our minds can get it wrong and can lead us away from what's crucially important for our growth. So last word from, uh, this presence process book by Michael Brown. He says, um, present moment awareness is our birthright. It's the kingdom of awareness through whose gates the prodigal children now awakened return. So it is, is is it peace that you seek? Perhaps you possess it already and it can only be found when you are practicing presence in the moment. Um, This thing that is available to all of us, this thing called peace and acceptance and being beloved and being chosen and being belong, like being part of something. So like being folded into the goodness, this inherent goodness that you have. It's kind of like, I think I've said this before to you, but it's like when you've been looking for your keys for like half an hour and searching frantically, and then you finally hold still and give up and you look down and they've been in your hand the whole time. Just be still, just pause See what you already have. See what you already are. This thing that we all have, this thing that we all share. It's already in your hand. So listener, you know who you are, anonymous listener. I hope that answers your question. I hope that invites you into deeper love, belonging, uh, peace. Here's the invitation for all of us today. In me and myself included. Let's try falling into now. Let's try falling into the moment. Let's try opening our hands to give and receive whatever is here right now for us. Um, whatever comes, whatever goes, hold it, hold it open with, with open hands. Um, feelings are just feelings. Loneliness is one kind of experience. Grief is one kind of experience. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not pathological. These things aren't pathological. They're probably as healthy and real as joy. Um, we just can't, when we overmarinate in them or when we avoid them, they can become pathological. So listen and breathe and stay present with Whatever feeling comes, notice what you notice, feel what you feel, and just notice it as one kind of feeling, one kind of experience, and know that you can survive it. You can contain it because you are just that big. You are that full and able to contain all of it. So soak it up, take it in, and let it wash over you. My blessing to you, 
today is may you find whatever forms of life that this true, present, now life holds for you. And may you be here now. And may you see whatever comes and know that apparently it all belongs. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Connect with you next week. Take good care. The promised land is in the palm of our hands, not confined by the lines, drawn in the sand, buried in flesh, hidden in bone. The kingdom of heaven is embedded in the soul. In order to return and become whole, we must be humble, surrender, ego, let go. Future and the past with the light that shines right through the mouth. Illuminate the path, draw the mind back. Illuminate the path, gotta draw the mind back. Illuminate the path, draw the mind back. It's hidden in the